Welcome to today's episode of the Global Class Podcast. We're very excited to have Imra Hild uh, with us today. So Imra has been called the godfather of the Hungarian startup ecosystem. He's been a founder, a chief executive, advisor to companies and policymakers, and a serial accelerator builder uh, who has had a profound effect on ecosystems in uh, Central and Eastern Europe. And through his company, Global Traction, he advises companies across Hungary, Slovakia, Austria, uh, Austria, Czech Republic, Romania, and Serbia on fundraising, building physical presence, and uh, in finding product market fit, uh, among other topics. So welcome, Imra. Thank you. What, what an introduction. Thanks. <laughs> of course, of course. And, and, and obviously, uh, I, I'm here uh, as well with Klaus, uh, my, uh, my co-author and, and uh, co-host on the show. Hi, Klaus. Hi, Imra. So uh, as we normally do, Imra, we, we wanted to uh, spend some time talking about your background, uh, about international business, uh, both in the past and, and how companies have been successful, as well as looking in the future. Because, uh, you know, as we're emerging from the pandemic, obviously, uh, there's been a shift in business. So, um, you know, wh- why don't we start by just uh, talking a little bit more um, about about uh, what you see today? Um, you know, in, in particular, Klaus and I are located in um in the Silicon Valley, which is not necessarily how the, the same, you know, the, the pandemic has been different for companies. Uh, so you're in, in Hungary right now. Talk yes. a little bit uh, about how, um, you know, the, the startup ecosystem has changed. Companies have adapted in Central and Eastern Europe. Yes, they definitely did. Um, and actually, it's, you know, largely startups who adapted the most. Uh, but some, you know, I would say some uh, medium-sized uh, companies also are on the right track. Uh, you know, in the last, actually, when we talk about the Hungarian ecosystem, we, we talk about the last 10 or 12 years. It started more or less in 2009, 2010. And um, initially, you know, all of those companies were uh, kind of um, suppliers uh, of technology to larger companies. And right around 2010, uh, some uh, early forms of um, uh, government-related capital structures emerged. Uh, in which um, um, you know young companies, early stage companies, could actually apply for funding from semi-governmental funds, and that was the first time that we started to talk about startups. Actually, back then, we didn't know that we have to use the word startup. So uh, when the when the famous book Startup Nation was translated into Hungarian, the translator actually didn't use the word startup. Uh, he used uh, nation ready to start, and I okay. and I asked him. You know why did why didn't you use just simply the word startup? He said nobody would understand. So that's that's how far we came from, uh, and it's, uh, it's it's been a journey. Uh, back then, I you know I, I like to say that you know the Hungarian ecosystem was like the size of a bigger room, <laughs> and now about thirty thousand people claim that they have some relationship to the uh, Budapest or Hungarian related ecosystem. So there are a lot of deep technology companies here. Uh, most of them are related to AI and cyber te- cyber technologies, cybersecurity. Uh, that's probably due to a very, very high level of mathematical knowledge that is uh, typical of Hung- Hungary and Hungarian universities. You know, this uh, um, algorithmic knowledge is, is very, very, uh, uh, very typical of uh, Hungarian technical universities. And so I think that we can see a, a sort of a fingerprint of that on uh, on some of these uh, early stage companies that they are really really smart in technology but they are not that smart in terms of business development or go to market they you know they like to code they like to hack 
But then when it comes to marketing, they're like, eh, you know, someone else should do that. <laughs> so that actually is changing, obviously, in the last 10 years. Uh, more and more, you know, capital sources come to the market and they actually try to educate uh, these startups and, and young entrepreneurs. Uh, it's It's been a slow ride, uh, I have to say. But in the last three or four years, things changed a lot. So now you can see, if you read international news, uh, you can see some early, you know, Hungarian success stories, some successful exit, exits. Uh, and especially this year, uh, we see uh, we see a fairly large number of them. So earlier, back in I would say 2015 or two, you know even before that, we used to say the the Holy Trinity: the LogMeIn, UStream, and Prezi. These were the three companies who actually made up uh, the the vast majority of the Hungarian ecosystem in terms of market value. And now we have a lot of lot of new success stories uh, coming up. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, so you obviously gave a really good overview of the ecosystem, and you also alluded to some of, I guess, the strengths and weaknesses of it. You know, where are the biggest challenges right now? Uh, you said sales and marketing, but also what we talk about in the book is international talent, entrepreneurial talent, right? Do you mm-hmm. see that in Hungary is very much more local talent, or do you also have more international talent coming into that market uh, to help the ecosystem grow? Yeah, it's it's actually I think it's good that I mentioned Prezi and Ustream and LogMeIn as early and early pioneers because they really showed us the way that if you want to develop an international international minded company, you have to have international people. So it, as simple mm-hmm. as that. So you know, at the founder level, you know, at, at Prezi and at Ustream, also there are international American or or just international minded people, and I think that that also that is very visible at the startup level also. So. Uh, if there is a startup that has one or two members who came back to Hungary for some, I don't know, family reason or some personal reason, and they want to be here and they want to develop their, their product here, but they have very strong international background, that typically that business skyrockets because they have a different mindset, a different understanding of the world. Uh, small markets like Hungary um, or even Slovakia have that kind of uh, handicap that we think in terms of our, our own environment, our own context as the, the primer. And that's what really matters. And, you know, once you actually take these people out of this context and drop them in, let's say, in the U.S. or, you know, you know obviously the largest, uh, probably most, most profitable market, then they, uh, then they immediately shift, uh, you know, they, they shift gears and they immediately see, you know, the, the size of the potential opportunities. I had the uh, opportunity to take um, a bunch of Hungarian startups uh, overseas for a period of one one month to five weeks, right. uh, I took uh, altogether seven such companies, and I have to tell you that it was wonderful to see the transformation that those teams went through. Mm-hmm. You know, on day one, you know, we arrived to New York, we <laughs> we walk, we go into a networking uh, networking right. event, and at the networking event, they are standing there like, you know, like they they haven't seen each other. You know, the two founders. Yeah. And I walk up to them like, well, you know, it's a networking event, so go and mingle. And they're like, well, we don't know anybody here. I'm like, well, yeah, I know. That's what mingling is about. So I grab them by the by the arm and, you know, we, I walk up to someone and I said, have you ever met, a, you know, a really talented Hungarian, Hungarian uh, engineer? No. I'm like, well, here is one. So talk. <laughs> so once you crack the ice a little bit and they right. start to talk, uh, then they're, you know, their knowledge and their their acumen comes comes across really fast, and I have to tell you that by the time we got to the uh, to Silicon Valley, it was what, seven years ago, six years ago. By the time we got to Silicon Valley, 
these guys who could hardly talk to each other, you know, three weeks earlier in New York, in Silicon Valley, they were pitching other teams' ideas to complete strangers. And when we when we came back with them, uh, you know, I organized an event for them. And, uh, you know, obviously, as usual, technology gave up on us, so we didn't have a mic. And this guy said, well, I don't need a mic. I stand up and I just, you know, I just talk to the crowd. And he was like, uh, I mean, I, I, got, I got the goosebumps. I mean, I, he was like a transformed man. There, there was a, a, a ton packed in there. I think, um, I, I think one thing in particular that, that's, that's something we heard from another executive recently is just how often the, the farther you are from the customer, the worse the decisions you make. And oh, so yeah. those experiences, like, like taking that group you know, outside of Hungary, um, it, it's so important to, to show those different perspectives and, you know, cause, cause countries are all, aren't, aren't all the same. Um, so we, we heard you previously talk about how, um, oftentimes, you know, Hungarian companies start to think global or go global too late. Um, you know, if I recall correctly, you said something along the lines that, that, you know, the, the CEO leaves to, you know, maybe go to the U S two years after founding the company, uh, you know, there, there's, I guess we want to key in on this difference um, where depending on what market you start in, you think of global very different. You know, if you're from a larger market, like you're founded in the U.S. because of the size of it, you might be looking global year four or five or something, as opposed to other places where you, it's important to start thinking global day one. So we'd love to get your perspective on that. Yeah, uh, totally. Uh, yeah, I, I said it in our earlier conversation that it's very typical that, you know, company is taking off, you know, they they have good product market fit in the Hungarian marketplace. Uh, the entrepreneur is good at sales and, and business development. And in year two, the company is, get, is getting big enough to actually, you know, so that they forget the daily problems. You know, they can, they, they, they have a nice growth, not, you know, not stellar, but, you know, nice, decent, you know, 20, 30% a year. A year. Uh, they already have enough money in the bank. Uh, they start to run out of com- uh, run, run out of clients in the in the Hungarian environment, and you know they, you know because they are good in terms of technology and they learn a lot. They know a lot about their their marketplaces because they used to work for larger companies earlier. Then they start to think like, okay, well, this country is too small for me, which is true, and now we have to go global. We have to go somewhere that is bigger, but we don't want to waste too much time. So why don't we go to the U.S. and that's typically. When when this uh, you know Hungarian CEO uh, you know packs up and leaves and says, okay, I'm going to establish a, a you know U.S. subsidiary, a U.S. sales house, and uh, they realize that not everybody speaks Hungarian and uh, their English is not as good as competitors' English, right. so they actually have to become cultured in the way business is done in the U.S. especially startup business is done, and that takes time. That's it's simply hard to predict. You know what's going to happen. In, you know in six months, in twelve months, you know they may actually they mess up their cap table on you know on, on forming the new entity. Uh, maybe they have some legal trouble in terms of getting a visa, so costs are getting out of control. You know, no real. You know, nobody's closing sales, and then they're like, well, then you know they start to focus on the U.S. operation, which again it's like a new like a new startup. It requires time and attention, and in the meantime. Uh, the original company, the Hungarian company, is losing focus because leadership is kind of going sideways. They are not really as eager as the original entrepreneur who started the business. 
So it's kind of a split-minded situation. So what am I going to you know, focus on? The, you know, the bread and butter business, the Hungarian business, or am I focusing on the new one? And very often they pack up and leave and go back to Hungary and they re- rethink their everything and they either start the business again or they sell it to some, some competitor. Actually, this all derives from the fact, and this is going to be something really, I would say... <laughs> Knowing the Hungarian context, uh, it's kind of, it, it sounds kind of sacrilegious, but um, I like to say that Hungary is not small enough. You know, in terms of Hungarian context, you know, Hungary used to be twice as big or more, more than two times as big as we are right now because of the First World War. You know, a lot of, a lot of territories were annexed away to some other countries, uh, you know, around Hungary. So I'm not, I'm not saying that that was a good thing. What I'm saying, if you look at Eastern Europe, particularly Eastern Europe, who are the really successful ones who are actually making really headways in terms of being global. Those are the Estonians right. and, the, and the Slovenians. Both countries are, are, are very small. You know, Slovenia is about 2 million people. Estonia is less than 2 million people. No Estonian startup would ever think about developing a product in Estonia. Why? It's a, such a small market. By default, they do it either in German or in English. Same thing with Slovenians, either English or German. And they are also very close to the German culture. So uh, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's kind of an interesting point that the smaller a country, the more they, the more they are inclined to think globally, the more, the, the more inclined they are to actually think outside of their own culture, their own context, because there is no real room for growth. It, this and is, this is that's interesting because you know you you think of it as you come from a really big market or you come from a really small market and and those yeah. tend to be easier decisions right you know big market you're like we we got enough here to keep us occupied small market you're thinking right away there's no way that this is going to be a successful yeah. scaled business so t- talk a little bit more about this middle ground you you obviously you did a great job of laying out the the problem what's the what's the solution so the, the I think that the solution is well you know the Hungarian government, uh, as all governments, I think, in a, in a way, they try to keep talent here. And they are, well, they try to do a number of things. You know, they want to give scholarship to, uh, to talent, uh, talented students or talented young, young entrepreneurs. They, have, they give them tax breaks and all that. But typically, that's not what really motivates a startup. A startup is really looking for the, 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 the appropriate context, the ecosystem, where they can learn on a daily basis basically through osmosis it's like you know you hear like seven ten stories in a in a good ecosystem every day here in hungary maybe one a week uh that can really start to start to shape your entrepreneurial thinking so um you know a lot of a lot of startups basically what they do they go to the bigger marketplaces uh, b- b- bigger uh, ecosystems like berlin london uh barcelona or stockholm in the in the european context some of them even to tel aviv um to, to israel uh which is i think that a prime example of a well-functioning uh, uh, startup ecosystem, and a fewer number of them go to the U.S. because of visa issues and you know and and, and sort of uh, work permit issues. Mm-hmm. So what they do, they they go to these marketplaces, uh, or to these uh, uh, ecosystems, um, join a lot of um, um, accelerators. Um, there are you know obviously just TechStars alone. I think they have like seven accelerators in Europe. Uh, and one in one also in, in in Israel, and there are a lot of you know decent programs uh, that actually uh, take take up a lot of the Eastern European talent, and it's a good thing because they are in the right environment. 
they learn how to cooperate, they learn how to learn from each other. And then when they come back, some of them eventually come back, they can actually show a good, good example. That's exactly what, what uh, uh, Prezi does. They are sh- showing a good example here for, uh, for, the, uh, for the entire ecosystem, how to cooperate. How could we speed up this process? I had this conversation with a lot of U.S. and Canadian VCs who are, uh, who are coming here. And I think that one, one opportunity, and it's a really big opportunity, would be to import ecosystems. Now, what do, I, what do I mean by importing an ecosystem? Well, there are some of these really, really large, you know, mammoth of, mammoth of companies, thousands of people uh, requiring thousands of new talent every year, you know, to, you know, to employ and to develop their products. And it's, it's, uh, it's common knowledge that there is a shortage of talent. So why don't, why don't these companies, these large companies, sort of come here and you know, establish their, you know, back of, you know, their, um, uh, their development centers here, bring here, you know, 40, 50, 100 people who are, who actually know how to build a data-driven enterprise and then teach it to local or regional talent, not only Hungarians, but Slovaks, Ukrainians, Romanians. And in, in a number of years, you know, if there are like 10, 10 such companies in, in the city, it would create its own ecosphere. And and you and you're so, kind of seeing that in other, in some markets, right? For example, we work a lot yeah. with Taiwan. They've been successful in attracting Microsoft, Amazon, the big incumbents to that market. And what happens is obviously they develop the talent there because there's incredible technical talent in Taiwan. Yeah. And so they learn about these agile methodologies, they learn, they get engaged with the company that is global. So they also mm-hmm. get that global mindset through actually working for those companies. Yeah. And, and I think you know that is a support that's missing in a lot of policy development. How can we attract international organizations, but also international talent? Because then you attract that talent into local businesses in Hungary, and they start to kind of bring that talent within the, uh, within those organizations, yep. which will increase the likelihood of them actually building products that are sort of built for beyond Hungary, if you will. And and yeah. and that's part that really needs to be more addressed within government policy, and that's also what we we do often with governments from from around the world in advising them on policy strategy creating programs that not just bring the entrepreneurs outside, but bring entrepreneurs back to the country. So you exactly. that, make that melting pot, if you will. Right. So um, I'm sure that was, uh, that was a lot of the points that you also wanted to address. Right. No, totally. I, I completely agree that that's, that's what we, uh, we should do. And I think that there are some, some early, early uh, signs that, you know, there would be, there would be some change in that direction right. and, you know, added to what you just said, you know, you know, we have uh, an, another great advantage here, uh, Budapest. Budapest, which in and of itself is a, you know, uh, is a choice, is, is a lifestyle choice. Right. A lot of people love to be here because it's a fun city and it's, uh, you know, it actually matters to, um, right. to a lot of the talent, you know, what, what the environment is and how much, you know, how much it's, it's, uh, it's, it's actually supporting their lifestyle. And it's, uh, this is like an Airbnb city. It's yeah. not now. It's completely, you know, completely converted into a, a full, you know, European city. Uh, you can tell the difference between Budapest or Madrid in, in many, many instances, or or Vienna, for for that matter. Only the prices are a lot lower. So um, not that so much about my, you know, advertisement for Budapest, but uh, I love the city clearly, and and it's it's really is a hub for everything, intellectual right. and technical capacity. I, I think what one thing that we found is that. Um, and, and I mean, a lot of people have said this, but but I, I think it to be true that that the pandemic didn't necessarily create a lot of trends, 
but has helped accelerate them more. And, and, and I think, you know, a couple of the relevant trends that we'd love to get your perspective on is, is one um, is about how, uh, you know, there's, there's talent everywhere. And because mm-hmm. companies have had to learn how to operate virtually, um, they're, they're more open to that. And it, and it may not be, let's build a cybersecurity center in Budapest. It might be, there's even individual people in different areas. And, and so mm-hmm. having a global workforce is different. And, and then along those lines, you know, you were, you were talking a bit about, um, you know, tech stars and other places, uh, you know, the Silicon, for a long time, people have been talking about how the Silicon Valley is not the only hub of innovation and next generation companies. And I think that the pandemic has accelerated that even more to show that really this happens everywhere. So that is a foundation. We'd love to get some of your thoughts around, uh, around, you know, in, in, in perspective, because, you know, Klaus and I are in the Silicon Valley of, of, of ecosystems outside and the potential for the future and how the pandemic has maybe accelerated some of that distribution of, of uh, mm-hmm. startup hubs, if you will. Yeah, I think that 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 is is definitely true. That uh, the pandemic helped, you know, moving everything online and everything virtual. Um, I'm teaching at three universities. Um, previously, I, I thought at only one because I couldn't really manage the time otherwise. But now all three can actually fit in the same time scale because you know I save the save so much time on traveling. Um, even Budapest is you know is getting too big for uh, uh, for for traveling. Uh, and yes, I mean this kind of remote and distributive work distributive format of 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 work uh is is definitely present even here um there are many companies who never return to the offices you know they already you know release their their lease agreement and they basically say you know uh, they scale down the workforce like 80 percent and the 20 percent is kind of uh, on like a like an a week b week kind of schedule uh and they meet um, a lot less frequently even investors uh do the same thing and um and they realize that they can actually be at a lot a lot many more uh, uh, conferences or or, uh, uh, or online discussions in a in a virtual format because everybody's forced to do that. So now it's kind of okay that uh, you know you only you only join a, um, a conference uh, uh, virtually. And I think that it's what what is great to see is that, you know how culture is actually developing of you know sharing information and following up. Um, and if and actually it's it's sustainable. You know, a lot of the, a bigger a big problem about virtual connections in the past, in the pre-COVID times, was that it became kind of artificial. You know, even if somebody you know had a, had an initial conversation online, it was almost never followed up, or it was rarely followed up in the in a in a uh, in a more human or in a more uh, uh, meaningful meaningful way. And what I see is that now it's it's becoming a trend that people actually have. Multiple, you know, maybe a dozen meetings before they actually would meet sometime, you know, in in person, and it's be, it it has become like a valid alternative to to being somewhere in person, and that is basically the birth of you know the location independent businesses. Yeah, you know that, that's that's interesting. You had uh, the the way you characterize that. If you if you think about it, one of the big focuses of of uh, you know newest technologies is around artificial intelligence, and and how through the pandemic, virtual is no longer artificial. Like you were saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, it's it's sort of this uh, this idea of like the pandemic has led to the birth of uh, a location independent business, which is really really interesting. The other thing that I think is interesting that, that's come from from Klaus and my research is around how to to view global, right? So um, so there there's 
it, there, there are companies that say, oh, we were born global. And we don't necessarily think that's true because you still need to build the basis of a business and prove it in one market. And, and it wouldn't be prudent to attempt to launch into 10 or 20 markets at once. Um, but at the same time, you need to build for multiple markets in mind. And so, uh, you know, we haven't come up with the right name for that, uh, you know, building for dual validation or otherwise. But, but you know, talk about some of your, your thoughts and, and, and how you coach startups around this idea of not needing to just build for the Hungarian market, not even needing to just build for the U.S. market if they go there. But, but the idea of, of building the company product-wise, people-wise, process-wise mm-hmm. to have a presence in multiple places. Um, Speak English from day one and have international people on the team and only those international people who are really needed, not because you know, they're you know, they are good friends, but those those people who have the, the right uh, um, capabilities and the right competencies that the company needs um, and follow trends. That's like number one. And, you know, this is when they, where they lose me typically because they don't know what the trends are. Uh, they don't really follow. They don't know what to follow. They don't know what to read. Uh, you know where where the uh, the major thoughts are kind of forming. You know, first cloudy. You know, something that that people think like three five years from now. They they, they kind of you know voice their guesses, and then as we get closer, then it, you know the the right patterns are seems seem to emerge, and that's what I, that's what I advise to these to these companies. Look to the west. Look overseas. If they are doing, let's say, for Amazon, if they do what same-day delivery, four years ago in Hungary it was non-existent. It was basically wait until you get your product three, four days from now. I'm like, well, they do one-day delivery. You should actually do the te- technology to make that happen because by the time you will need it, you will not, you will be you will be behind. Uh, the same thing with um, you know with AI. The same thing with KYC. So watch the trends. And the trends are going to basically give you a lot of lift in terms of market appreciation. That's an interesting point there, because uh, when, when when we look at this idea of a globally distributed workforce, what, one of the things that, that Klaus and I talk about, about this global class company is how those that either are born in or after the pandemic or learn how to adapt, they have inherent advantages compared to other companies. So yeah. you know, a company that's headquartered in the Silicon Valley and has all of their employees there they are paying a lot of money for all of those employees, right? Exactly. And so the idea of having talent everywhere is an inherent advantage because you can take advantage of some of the local economics. Another sort of element that we focus a lot on in in the book that we're writing, Global Class, is the importance of business culture. And that's a lot of the stuff that we also teach through our programs when we support entrepreneurs that want to enter and validate the U.S. market, right? And you kind of talked a bit about something earlier that was interesting, you know, roast pigs when you go there and then you get invited, you know, there's this big (laughs) charade, if you will. And then versus when people come over to Silicon Valley, we often just offer lunch boxes and we talk over lunch. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting situation. Panera bread, right? (laughs) Exactly. We work with Asian, Asian founders and they're kind of weirded out a bit by having conversations over a lunchbox, right? So having said that, what are some of the big cultural differences you see between Hungary and Silicon Valley? Because you had in, you know, had yeah. a lot of experience with that. You know, what are some of the things that you think Hungarian founders should be aware about before actually coming over? They should be aware of, of the of the necessity of speed, how fast right. people actually communicate, how, how fast they expect um, Europeans to react, 
Uh, it's not okay to wait a week with a response. You know, that's right. that's still very typical. Um, be short in an email, you know, in any kind of communication. Be, be to the point because that's, you know, that's that's value in, in, in the American kind of communication. Now, the other thing is that the, the Europeans should adapt that this huge scale of thinking that that is present in, in Silicon Valley, that, you know, they have to multiply by 10 or sometimes by 100 uh, the aspirations and their, you know, and their growth expectations. Right. You know, they really, sometimes they are their own break uh, they are their own kind of uh, uh, force to pull them uh, pull themselves themselves back uh, from from actually achieving success the other thing is it's okay to make own it's it's okay to to uh, to at the end of the day to be a minority stakeholder in your own company when you are exiting the company at I don't know 200 million dollar valuation for a Hungarian that's sacrilegious you know they have to have like you know I don't know 60 percent 70 percent at least. You know they have to be always in full control, and that's that's because of actually that's again that's cultural. You know, in Central Eastern Europe, trust has a lot of value, and it's very hard to find that kind of a trust relationship that is typical in in um, in America or in in Silicon Valley. That hey, you tried something, you failed. You didn't fail because you wanted to fail. You, you know it happens, and then you can you can go at it again, and you may be successful next time. Here, you know, being being a failure is a stigma that sticks for like a decade. You know, it's it's very difficult to get out of that. You, you kind of hit on an important uh, an important point a bit earlier, and it's oftentimes the simple things that matter, and, and communication matters a lot when it comes to international business. And and just an yeah. email is important, right? The way you communicate, you know, just when we work with entrepreneurs from Asia, Latin America, etc., they do very elaborate emails. And yeah. keeping it short is important in Silicon Valley, for example, but at the same time, also responding in a faster you know, rate, if you will. Uh, don't wait one week, don't wait two weeks, respond within or actually follow up within 48 hours, if you will, right? So so we just see those cultural differences uh, a lot through the work that we do. Uh, I wanted to sort of transition a bit uh, to focus a bit more on you. And because you have a very, very international mindset, a global mindset, and and we connected actually with you through a friend of ours uh, that we've also interviewed for the book, um, who said you're basically the guy to speak to in Hungary, right? Um, which is really, really, really cool. So one thing we talk about is formative experiences and how that impacts sort of the future of your career um, and. And we sort of took note of, you know, that you have, you know, had previous experience living in the U.S., yeah. studied at Cornell, and and I I, I kind of saw in your profile that did you call it the best place in the world? So can you talk yeah. a bit more about the background? What inspired you to kind of build this international career, and and was that a formative experience for you, and why why that was? Yeah, I think that that's uh, um, what I wanted to add to to um, just the previous question is that uh, you know one of the one of the really formative and very uh, remarkable event that happened to me is when when I had those guys in, in in California and we were in in one of these networking events and one of them came up to me and he said you know something happened now I'm like what happened you know somebody came up to me we were talking and he said how can I help you and the guy froze he's like he didn't know how to he just didn't know how to ask for help. And even when somebody told him that I can help you, he didn't know how to ask for the help. Now that, that ties over to my, my experience. I was, you know, here, I, I grew up in this country. I wasn't accepted to school, to higher education in this country. I applied six times. 
And then through a, a really long story, um, uh, through some you know personal personal acquaintance and, and friends, I applied to Cornell and I got accepted, and mm-hmm. I got accepted with scholarship. And I had I really didn't I couldn't believe that I was accepted to to Cornell until actually the first class started. When I was at Cornell, I'm like, this is not a joke. This is not a mock-up. This really is happening. And you know, somebody can that somebody would help me without actually talking to me, ever really experiencing who I am just through an application process. That really struck with me, and I, I stuck with me. And I promised to myself that I'm going to help people, those who want. I will help them, and I will try to actually make them go through the same experience because that was very, very unique in my experience. It, in in this part of the world, it's not really typical that people give first. They want to get something first. But the bottom line is, is that um, the American culture is helpful. And it's helpful to those who actually know how to accept it and willing to accept it. And I think that that's, that's something that is really rarely mentioned. Uh, when when, Tes- when Techstars was here on a, on a tour in 2017, uh, they had this Eastern European tour. And uh, they asked me to invite a lot of these te- techie guys. Uh, and so I, I had five of them. And every time I realized that at the end of their presentations, uh, the, the Techstars MDs, they basically said, oh, wow, this is really great, great technology. Congratulations. And I remember them always looking at me. It's like, why did they congratulate me? I'm like, well, because you did, you did something great and they are actually they are praising you. That is these really tiny things that you wouldn't right. think twice about it in the U.S. Here, it matters a lot. Yeah, exactly. To these people, it matters. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of interesting because when we talk, uh, when we ask a question about, do you always talk about others? And I, and I think it's just about your personality because you're really, really yeah. care to support entrepreneurs from around the world. So it's just the, yeah. your your personal nature, which which is also why we wanted to bring you uh, on to the, I was uh, to the podcast. Right? I, mean, I have to say, exactly. I, I was helped a lot. Yeah, I was helped exactly. at Cornell uh, by professors. Exactly. I was helped, right. and believe it or not, even at the epicenter of hell at Lehman Brothers. I was helped by a lot of, you know, um, uh, a lot of bankers and uh, uh, traders. They're right. good folks. I have to say that after, you know, after, you know, well, like 15, 17 years, they were, they are, they are, or 13 years. Uh, they are good folks and they, they are helpful. And, you know, they are, they are, they are comrades. Right. They are, they are good colleagues. And that kind of help, I think, is something that sticks with you for life once you once you experience that kind of that kind of an environment. And that's what really comes back from international-minded startup entrepreneurs. The young ones, those when they come back, they behave, they start to behave like that. Exactly, exactly. Um, I, I wanted to uh, maybe ask a bit more about. I guess lost in translation moments. For example, I, I've lived in, in multiple co- uh, continents and also studied in Chile. And just remember me being on campus and in a classroom in Chile, and I didn't understand anything. Lost in translation completely in the very beginning. It took me multiple months to pick pick things up, if you will. What 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 are some of the lost in tra- translation moments for you when you came to the U.S. in the early days of studying at Cornell? Uh well. <laughs> Well, it's 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 um, it's really difficult to think of 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 such. I think that um, um, some of the some of the major again cultural, you know, like you you go to sleep and there is air conditioning going on, and I'm like, I, how can I turn it off? And I couldn't find where I can turn it off, so I climbed under the bed because I, as Hungarian, I couldn't bear sleeping in air conditioning for like weeks because we were so much not used to that. Okay, 
then then you know I, I arrived to Florida when I first came to the U.S. You know, and I, in the morning I go to, and 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 grab some orange juice, and I'm like, what is this? They're like, well, this is orange juice, what you drink back home in Hungary. The other, the other question I had for you is, is do you still uh, have Florida orange juice shipped to you so you don't have to have that <laughs> carrot and apple apple juice mixed? <laughs> well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, things have changed here in Hungary, so now we can have Florida here. Oh, that's uh, good. That's good. We, we, have, we have like, we have mango also. So, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, so... um got up. One thing you mentioned briefly was this stigma around failure. And I know yes. one thing we believe and we teach with our clients that makes the Silicon Valley unique and the more successful startup ecosystems unique. Obviously, things like investors and companies to acquire and all in universities, all those things are very important ingredients. But this mindset around failure and how it's accepted and in some cases celebrated, which allows to be comfortable taking these calculated risks. You know, that's an important differentiator. So, you know, I'd love to, to actually play off of that. Um, hear what your most valuable failure has been in your career journey. Okay. Um, most, most, uh, most important career failure. Uh, I think that it was, uh, it was the company that I built when I came back from uh, from the U.S. It was a life annuity company, uh, a special Central Eastern European construct. It's basically it's something like reverse mortgage in the U.S., but it's not mortgage; it's equity. So you know the company owns the property upfront and then pays installments as long as the person who lives in the apartment actually lives. Uh, and there was a. Um, there was there. I would I would mention two failures if you allow me. One is when we started the company and we wanted to actually roll it out and obviously wanted to follow some early early form of lean. So we actually spoke a lot to the clients. We were all going all over the country, giving big presentations, huge presentations, seven hundred people, and nobody ever signed up. It was a it was a product for uh, seniors, people over sixty five. Nobody signed up. Everybody came to eat the cookies, uh, but nobody actually signed up. And I was completely devastated. I spent like a million dollars on, on marketing. Nothing stuck. And uh, I had a voicemail on my on my phone. Uh, I remember when I went back and I, I was thinking about actually folding. I was like, it's not working. It's just people are just coming for the cookies. And so I, and, and a, a lady actually called me. She was 67 at the time. And she said, I know what the problem is. So she came in, long story short, she said, Imre, the problem is that you are their son's age, okay? I was I was 42 at the time. You are their son's age, okay? These people actually argue with the kind of people that you are. One. Two, look at the presentation behind you, okay? It's a really long, complicated, long words. They have no idea what you're talking about, okay? But they actually, and they and you know who they would they would trust? I'm like, who would they, who would they trust? She said, they would trust me. She's 67. So long story short, next time she gave the presentation um, in the story, in the story of the company, she signed a billion foreign worth, which is like three, wow. $30 million uh, worth of business uh, because she said, well, this is the best thing you can do with your apartment. If you're interested, you find me at that desk and people lined up because they like to talk to her. They didn't like to talk to their son's age kind of person who spoke like now long sentences you know, <laughs> and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of issues uh, to touch on. The other thing after that was uh, 
the other point that I wanted to make is when when the when the company actually folded in 2008, um, that um, I didn't push hard enough to actually make a securitization happen. You know, we were on the brink of securitizing that that asset uh, that we that we were sitting on, and uh, it was it was basically either um, either stopping and uh, and just basically sitting on the portfolio or going for securitization. And uh, I didn't push push uh, uh, strong enough for the securitization. So we we stopped the origination. It wasn't, it turned out not to be a bad deal. Now, not everyone has sort of this international and global mindset like you, uh, what we label an entrepreneur in the book Global Class. And you did talk about you help uh, companies go to Silicon Valley and into other inter- international markets to help influence their mindset, if you will. But for those that doesn't have that opportunity, how do you sort of in- teach that international mindset or influence people in Hungary, those that do not have sort of the, the fortunate opportunity to travel? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the one of the things uh, over the years, um, one of the things that I started to talk about uh, to these companies is platforms. Uh, and when I mean platforms, I, I basically say marketplaces, information or product marketplaces, and technology platforms. Why do I do that? Because surprisingly, a lot of success stories are kind of circulating around these platforms. We can call them ecospheres. Um, you know, one one guy, for example, uh, he's a very he's a very good technology person, and he was at school. He he developed a, a software for servers. Uh, monitoring server activity. Uh, he was basically a poor student. He put up his technology online on, on GitHub for free. Others started to download it, use it. And five years later, they started to write emails to him like, hey, we need a you know a corporate license for this software because we want to use it internally. And now he has 200, co- 200 clients um, uh, who are actually paying uh, you know uh, annual really significant license fees. Um, he basically, he, he almost like stumbled upon this business because of GitHub, it became a business. Um, and what, I, what, what I'm basically trying to suggest with this is that, uh, you know, there are these big kind of equalizer technologies uh, of the world, and we have to use them as platforms to success. But they, in and of themselves, they are big enough to support an entire business. For example, I, I, I'm sure that, you know, you know, the first thing that comes to everybody's mind is Amazon. It's a perfect example, like multiple layers of uh, various businesses and various service providers exist on Amazon. And, and because of Amazon, they, create, they, have a, they have a lot of value. But there are such major players in almost every industry. And that's what I advise to, to young entrepreneurs. Study them. If you are a graphic artist, study Adobe and be really damn good at Adobe. If you are an e-commerce guy, study what Shopify is doing well and learn what they don't do and do that and, and develop a product, develop a plugin for that. If you are, um, you know, let's say um, uh, any any other kind of, um, you know, large, you know, large technology player like, uh, um, you know, Microsoft is also like a, a, a great ecosphere uh, example. Um, there are these these places which actually generate a lot of clients. And actually, when I when I talk about when I talk about startups, you know what we did in the earlier example, we, we took them to the U.S. basically to try to talk to customers, try to find customers. And over the years, I found it a little bit superfluous and a little bit useless to actually 
you know, have a little idea and then try to look for a market for it. Why don't we go where there are customers already? And those are the platforms. And many of these platforms are really willing to talk to you about what their customers are like. They actually have a lot of material about it. So why not learn first what the customers are, how they behave, what is their, their buying pattern, behavioral pattern? I remember in a previous conversation. Um, so, so we'd love to move on to the, the final part of, part of uh, our, our podcast where we talk a little bit more about the future. And, and you, you've been giving advice through your answers, but, but more specifically giving some advice. And, and so, um, you know, I, I guess we could start by just saying, you know, what, how, how has uh, your international experience, uh, international business experience, changed your perception about business, about your family, about life in general? You know, how has it changed your perspective? Um, I think that um, I realized that what started in my life in 1992 is really a long journey of becoming location independent. And that's what I enjoy the most. And that's what I'm basically advocating to everyone that in this day and age, uh, your location only matters to you. It, you know, it doesn't matter to the business. It's really easy to conduct a significant size business, um, you know, from as simple as a laptop. But obviously, even if, uh, even with a small team, um, a significant business can be, uh, can be operated. I think that, um, everybody should actually, if they start out and they start, uh, with, uh, with a business now, they should start it the easiest way. And the easiest way is to do something that is attached to a large platform. There are so many opportunities that I see that are not used uh, in this day and age on uh, using these platforms. They simply don't know about them. And if they knew about them, then they would actually, you know, would try their hands at these technologies. And again, there are more opportunities than talent. So if they, right. if, if these talent actually had access to opportunities and they knew knew about them, actually, that's one of my mission. I actually try to spread the word about all these opportunities that, hey, just try, just look and read about it. And then you will see that you can actually reach billions of people. Never before in human history, it was possible. That's true. Yeah, it's the, the power of the, the platforms. Yeah. So, so one, um, one thing we were touching on a little bit earlier is just how the, the pandemic is a pivot point, a, a shifting point in business. Yeah. So we're, we're curious uh, what, what you think as we come out of the pandemic, how international business will change i think it's going to it's going to be faster which is good news for europe because it wasn't typically fast uh it's going to be faster it's going to be um more transparent by i mean by a long shot i mean what happened in the last two years in terms of transparency uh and all this anti-money laundering and kyc uh again it's a good it's it's a good thing uh it's going to be you know more monitored than 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 ever before i think that it's it's going to be uh, easier to get insights uh, on these smaller markets. You know, Europe is typically uh, in a in a disadvantage because it's 28 countries. Who has time to all of them? You know, everybody's focusing on the top countries, and they are also very diverse in culture and language. And I think that is going to be a lot less of a less of a problem. So it's like going from 100 down to 85, but it's still not like down to zero. But it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's getting better. Um, I think that um, uh, internationalization is uh, is going to is going to increase because of this. Uh, a lot of internationalization, localization issues are going to be less of a problem. Uh, there will be a lot more more real time problem solution. Now we're going to be moving into sort of the last segment of the conversation, and we're gonna. I know you've been in the hot seat for approximately an hour now, but we'll 
truly put you in the hot seat right now. And oh, so imagine, imagine you're going down an elevator right now and you're maybe on yeah. the sixth floor and you have to give three pieces of advice to someone that's maybe a bit younger than you and you want to make sure that that person is successful, right? So I have three questions to ask you and maybe just short answers in a sentence or yes. two. Uh, and yeah, uh, that's sort of the format. You ready to go? I promise. I uh, promise I'm going to stick to two promise? sentences. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to hold yeah. you uh, hold you on to that one, right? Sure. So, <laughs> so, so, so one piece of advice, uh, what, what one piece of advice would you give to someone interested in building a career around international business? Um, travel a lot, travel often, and um, try to work with uh, your idols, uh, idol entrepreneurs, because good entrepreneurs are open and they are always looking for, looking looking for opportunities to give back right perfect what one piece of advice do you have for a business leader expanding a business to new markets don't try to expand it as an extension of your existing company but treat it as a startup and give it to an entrepreneur wonderful looking back at your career thus far what one piece of advice would you have for your younger self Focus more on yourself and less on, uh, you know, going into com compromises with the uh, with the environment. Um, it's you know, it was it was one of one of the shortcomings in my career. I think that that's that's what I should I should uh, I should have avoided. Just uh, you know, go with what I initially initially wanted because um, I would feel better about you know many of the businesses now. Great. So. There's all uh, really great insights on today's call, and then I'll let Aaron wrap up in a second. But some of the stuff that you obviously uh, were talking about, kind of exposing yourself to new cultures, is incredibly important. Yes, meaning obviously traveling and all that stuff. Don't be afraid to ask either. Be prepared to have an ask as well, um, and just uh, don't be afraid also to be give back because that will also be returned as well. And so. Yeah. Participate in the sharing economy, if you will, not lift cars and Ubers, etc., but the sharing econ economy in terms of sharing insights and knowledge. Aaron, I'll, yes. I'll punt it off to you. Yeah, awesome. Imra, thank you. Uh, I should say, Imra, Godfather, yes. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. You know, we, we are so happy that uh, we are part of your international business family. And, uh, you know, we thank you for all you've done to build your ecosystem and, and for, you know, contributing to, to our efforts to help build an international business community. So thank you so much. Thank really you, guys. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk uh, talking to you. And I really, I really appreciate that you are doing this because it's going to help a lot of entrepreneurs to, uh, to think differently about international. Wonderful. And we feel that we're going to have a lot of collaboration in the future because we both are working in the intersection of entrepreneurship and innovation and are very passionate yeah. about ecosystem building. I'm looking forward to that. Wonderful. Thanks so much. All right, guys.